Hello and welcome to Two Crickets on a Thorn Tree, the smoothest glass of cream liqueur or Amarula, uh, sponsorship painting, <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> for your mind, I'm half of your host, Nicholas Larimer, joined as ever by the other half of your hosts. The undersponsored, uh, yes. Amarula loving. <laughs> <laughs> we so yeah, we, we so are. desperately want to want to want to praise shill for you for money, Amarila. Please give us money. Salads that aren't getting paid. What do you call that? Idiots. I think lovers. <laughs> Isn't lovers the word? <laughs> oh right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that you were a, a poet at heart. <laughs> the romantic and the cynic. Me to the podcast. Then yes. see what happens. <laughs> Sounds like the start of a bad joke. Oh lord. Um yeah. speaking of bad jokes, uh the, the that's country a, that's hey? a good sure. try. That's your how, that's a, <laughs> how about that? <laughs> Holy moly. You know, it's there's a, a funny thing about that because uh before the show, Nicholas and I were talking uh, you know, I I I said, dude, I can't believe they're kicked out and poor. And he said bad things come in threes and <laughs> the rule of three in theater is the comedy rule uh, <laughs> that if something is funny the first time it'll also sort of be funny the second time but then the third time it'll be hilarious uh, and yeah so the ANC has had a hilarious week of victory indeed they have um, so we have let's let's see if we can name three things uh Three things that are distinctly three separate things. So, first, uh, the coalition has lost control of the city of Johannesburg. This was always a little bit of a long shot. I mean, we were both kind of opposed to them taking power in Joburg yeah. um, at the beginning because we thought that would be a complete disaster. And I am well <laughs> vindicated. I am <laughs> Did I saw a friend yeah. who said that? Bofalatse hit seventy percent of her, like of the things that she said she would do in the manifesto. She's already done. I look forward to going to check that up. I, I've been, you know, I'm sympathetic. That would be good. That would be much better than I thought they yeah. would do. Yeah, I'm. I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing the happiness on the ground. I'm. This seems like a no. Neither am I. Or, uh, and and also, as for the, if you're sort of hoping to make a political point of saying, uh, you know. Um, Oh well, you see, this is a good thing from the DA's perspective because now they can say that, you know, trusting parties like the PA is bad because they'll stab you in the back, and that them were the ones who held the dagger. And that was that was what was actually really terrifying about this coalition was that the PA, I'm, I think I'm correct in saying, have broken every single coalition agreement they've signed. Uh, in a it's a, across quite a few with both the, with both the ANC and the DA. They've switched sides, I think, three times in no, twice in in Nelson Mandela Bay, and at least once in <laughs> in Chopuk. Um, They originally supported the ANC, and then they supported the DA, and then they supported the ANC, and it's never clear each time what caused them to to switch sides. It's always the, like, the thing is the Patriotic Alliance is led by an actual former gangster. Yes, and and my childhood hero wrote a play about him. Like he's giving the reformed colored gangster meme trope. He's giving it such a bad name by, yes, <laughs> by being a really scaly dude. Like he's doing a disservice to all the people who like saw Jesus in jail and came out 
clean on the other end. Like that was that was his pitch. Uh, yeah, and yeah. now it's making a fool of a lot of us. Yeah. Um, oh, I didn't believe in him, but you know, romantics <laughs> like yourself did. I did. I totally <laughs> did, bro. I, yes, I believed so hard. I even won the competition for that play. Anyway, I'm sure I've told that story before. What's the second yeah, no, bad? You have a uh, second bad thing. Now you see. Here's the dispute: is this a is this a a, a double thing or a single thing? Um, okay. The okay. Like expropriation that. bill and the and the land courts bill. Uh, Both these got things by the National Assembly. Yeah, Parliament, which normally takes 400 million years to do anything, including, for example, the court mandated. Um, <laughs> what was it? Uh, uh, yes, the Dacha law. <laughs> the Dhaka Law, um, the Electoral Amendment Act, all of these things were... Dude, the very were, serious were business, also the Electoral Amendment Act. <laughs> yes, indeed. Given deadlines by the Constitutional Court, not by your garden variety magistrar, you know. No. no. Uh, 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 so, so normally it's, two it year takes deadline, months and months to way, do that. Two, no, no, two years. <laughs> Two years, yes. The marijuana bill still not even done. I don't think they've even conceptualized the outline. Of what to do. No, it's like white paper, not even green. Well, green but paper. When it comes it's still to, on green paper, isn't that ironic? Yeah. When it comes to, to borrow your phrase, dragging a steak knife across the Bill of Rights, that is destroying every single South African's right to, to be secure and safe in their property and to not have it de deprived uh, without compensation. Um, yeah, no, that can be done in a week. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> you know why? Why wait? If you're gonna, yeah. If you're gonna, I do feel that if you were gonna sell suicide, if you were gonna be a, a, a sort of suicide salesman, the slogan could be "Why wait?" <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's the catchphrase for really the worst ideas. Like yes. bad ideas, really, really bad ideas. The the catchphrase is "Why not?" And the yes. thing is, you know, like should we, like let's do heroin? Why not? And the <laughs> thing is, if you've asked why not, there's a chance someone's going to answer the question, and get yes. in there, and, and give you a good okay. reason to why not. Right? Yeah. But why but in wait? This case, why wait is just is just depriving that opportunity for a second thought. Yeah, look, you know, we're gonna we're gonna destroy property rights in this country anyway. Um, why wait? <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about this, um, the sort of politics behind this a little bit on a phone call after we realised this was happening. Um, also, I, I think it's worth noting um, because you've been trying to watch it quite closely. Is that Parliament, despite it's supposedly having to be very uh, transparent? Mostly due to disorganization more than anything else, it's kind of a little bit difficult to work out what is actually going on in Parliament at any one time, I think I'm correct in saying. Dude, the parliament.gov website said last week and this week still that Parliament, that the National Assembly was on constituency period, which means holiday. You know, that's when you're supposed to go to your allocated constituency. Each MP yeah. or half of the MPs are... Uh, nominally connected to a particular part of the country and in any event uh, it's, a, it's a time for people to go on TV and do the backroom work that they need to do and there's committee work that requires paperwork that they might not otherwise have a chance to do. Anyway, right. it means that things aren't being voted on. I felt terrible because I, I emailed an MP and I was like uh, 
the PMG, the, the Parliamentary Monitoring Group website, says that the land court bill has been passed, but it literally says at the top, it's got like a little green bar, a graphic. And at the beginning, it right. says like drafting. Then it says National Assembly. Then it says NCOP. Then it says President's Desk. And the green bar grows along as the bill, as any bill goes from stage to stage. And when it's at a stage, it's got an open circle. Like if it hasn't been voted on, if it's at the committee, but the committee hasn't finalized it, then it's green around the, the circle, but it's not colored in. And if it's been voted on and passed, then it's colored in with a tick. And if it's been vo voted down, then it's colored in with a cross. And the only indication that the land court bill had been passed was that this green dungus had been colored in with a tick. And the day, previous day, it wasn't colored in, then it was colored in. But <laughs> underneath that, dude, I'm telling you the truth about your country. Underneath that, <laughs> there's a list of, of links to the PMG's um, documents of minutes of committee meetings and of parliamentary sessions and all the business of parliament. And that lists everything that's been done. And like a bill, there are so many things through, there, there are so many stages it gets to even before the committee signs off on that. So there was like already 18 things. It didn't have anything. And when I last checked yesterday, still didn't have anything to record the actual passage of the bill. So the last thing that it said was 20th September last week that it had been signed off by the committee, but on 25th September or whatever it was, 27th September, when it had been signed, there was nothing recorded there. So, the, you know, it's like the two bits of things, like obviously someone running the website had updated the green bar, but not uploaded the, any link to... Ugh. <laughs> a note from the speaker so the thing was conflicting so it looked like maybe they just accidentally colored it in or no maybe it has been passed but there's no record of it so that's why i went to the parliament.gov site which is the government's own site that's supposed to have the stuff um constantly updated right dude it said and they were on holiday it said they were on holiday since heritage day <laughs> so according to my father who is an mp uh constituency time actually only starts today so uh, I don't know who, you know, maybe they just copy pasted last year's calendar because I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't No, That would not surprise me. And I felt very embarrassed because I, I emailed a very serious MP and I was like, how did they pass it if you guys are on constituency period? And she replied a day later, like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, IRR is, uh, IRR doesn't, IRR is really not as good as it used to be. You guys don't even know. <laughs> Well, you see, this the is the problem. Works. Like, uh, you know, this is this is actually one of the things, and I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of thinking out loud here, but um, you know, we're heading back to a world where Parliament is going to ma matter a lot more than it's mattered up till now, right? We're heading yeah. to a world where it's probably going to be pretty contested. It's probably worth setting up a parliamentary liaison office again, uh, which once once did exist, but uh, I believe, but uh, but no longer. Uh, do, Dude, I mean, we don't even have, at this stage, like, I think you're jumping the gun, dude. Like, Parliament is still in the City Hall of Cape Town. Uh, <laughs> well, right. It would help if we had a, a Parliament. <laughs> I, so, so, so two weeks ago, we bombarded the members of the, of the Public Works and Infrastructure Committee. We emailed all of them to say, guys, it's political suicide to pass this bill expropriation bill don't do it you're going to be writing your own uh death certificate um 
And you might be writing the country's death certificate too, you know, if, it, if we can't stop it before it does lots of damage. Right. Um, we didn't use that language. We used very official language. And, you know, dear Your Excellency, the Minister of whatnot. Uh, yes, Master. <laughs> Please mm, listen to yes, your humble yes, servants, mm. even though you're serving us because it's a republic. But anyway. <laughs> but anyway. did so? And the thing is, I know that it made a difference because the meeting that they had the next day, like it was the only thing that they kept talking about for like an hour and a half. There's only one thing that they repeated. And that was that like these people have been emailing us and like, it's not allowed. You're not allowed to email. <laughs> you're not allowed to. <laughs> yeah. Submissions have both. Rah, 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 rah. <laughs> <laughs> but then it's like, okay, let's vote on this thing. And then the ANC MP was like, no, dude, guys, can we just think about this one more time? <laughs> and also there was the Biden thing. Hana, Hana, we spoke about that, but the point that I'm trying to make is, hmm. um, the Biden thing being the, the meeting with Ramaphosa and Biden was happening just two days afterwards. So maybe it made more sense for them to delay and do it after the meeting so that it was less likely that media or anyone would, would force it to come up so that both of them could avoid talking about it because it's so embarrassing to both in a way. Um, anyway, the point is that we then I mean, wanted really to go into Parliament. No, it shouldn't be hard to Everything's hard for Biden. It should just be like, uh, hey, you know, well, spe speaking of that, we should probably say something about the little oopsie poopsie he had recently, which is not looking good for him. Oh, the one where he this. was calling out a he was calling out a, a, a house representative who's dead. He was like, where's Jill? Yes. Where's Jill? Ja I think it was Jackie. Where's Jackie? Jackie. Where's I mean, Jackie? And he sort of mumbled to himself, well, Jackie's not here, which is... If you're if you're an old dude who people suspect might be a little bit uh, starting to go a little bit fraught, um, let's just say that this is not a sign in your favor. Yeah, dude. I mean, that whole thing about like who's got their finger on the nuclear button. Ugh. <laughs> uh, you want them to remember who's already dead a little bit. <laughs> yes, it's preferable. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so we wanted to then up the ante and go to Parliament, to the committee, to the offices of the committee members and hand them a physical uh, manifestation of the petition, of the signatures, of the whatever. And then Nicholas helped us figure out, dude, these guys aren't even working. They're all working from home, not because of the <laughs> pandemic, but because the Parliament burnt down and no one's figured out uh, they don't. There's no good reason for them to figure out how to get back into the office because as but soon as they, they do, they, the it's just they, a little what, bit easier for people like me to go and irritate them. You know, this is what confuses me. I mean, is that they account. do they do have offices? Not like all of the parliamentary precinct burned down. It was only the actual building itself, I believe, the the, the bit with the chambers and the library, which is actually in many ways the most important bit that you don't want to burn down. Um, yeah. But presumably someone can still be there at somewhere in the office. Oh, no, dude, there is office space. Sorry. I, I, I might have made it sound like their staying away was reasonable. There is enough <laughs> office space, we've been told, for everyone to be there. But it's also like, oh, the fire was so recently. Do we have to be there? No, we don't have to be there. Okay, we're not going to be there. Dude, then we even phoned someone. So we spoke to the secretary and she said, no, you can't come. No one's going to be there. Then we spoke to someone in the committee who was like, dude, we were all there. <laughs> then we saw the video of the committee second committee meeting and it's like okay they weren't all there but there was a lot of people there because of the free wi-fi who knows what. anyway so uh it's it's so yeah i if, like your idea if, about a liaison office but how's about just an office office first just okay fair enough because 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 yeah yeah like this is the point i'm trying to make is is parliament 
Parliament is not working correctly, like everything else. But yeah, this is particularly not good, as you can tell from our, our, our exasperated sighing. And if you could see us, I keep putting my head in my hands every time yes. Gabriel says something. <laughs> we are pulling our hair out a little bit. Yeah. Ugh. Laughing, laughing through the pain is. Uh, if you don't, if you don't it, laugh, you'll cry. I, I I got shouted at in the comments section of a Daily Bread podcast. I Someone saw that. said, "What was it? I wish there was a little less giggling while the country falls to fascism, or something like that." Mm, mm. And you know, I kind of was tempted to say, like, firstly, you try to read this depressing news every day and keep your spirits up if you're not laughing, if you're being super serious about it all the time. But secondly, if we don't laugh will cry and everyone will just give up in despair and go home and then there'll be no point to anything. Uh, did, you, did you ever see the South Korean movie Old Boy? It was, you know, one of the, I think maybe the first one that really uh, uh, gained international uh, success, late 90s, early 2000s, about, it sort of starts with, it's an amazing movie. It's got the best fight sequence I've ever seen. It starts in with a single a guy in an apartment and he's been locked in this apartment for like 12 years and mm -hmm. you know food gets shoved under the door and every time he tries to kill himself they sort of break in they can like gas him to make him go to sleep Wait, so he kill can't himself. kill himself this sounds like a perfect environment i can't imagine a better way to live <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly he's he's unhappy for some strange reason he's for some like strange problems. reason and he's trying to break out and eventually he breaks out and it turns out that this was part of the plan, you know, that they were hoping that he'd break out and now they've set up a thing. Anyway, then the fight sequence is like him with a hammer and it's an eight minute single shot of him going through a building, hammering dudes, dude. And he like definitely on set broke several people's arms because Oof. the actors just had to run at him and he had to hammer them and it was choreographed. But, after but it, yeah, minutes, it's difficult to choreograph that. <laughs> so there's some huge misses. I mean, there's moments where it's like, you know, Hollywood, you tr you're never really punching. But there's like moments where it's a huge miss. It's like a terribly, you would redo that take every single yes. time. And then there's other moments where it's a very solid connection. <laughs> anyway, it's called Old Boy. And one of the famous lines from that movie is... Uh, when you laugh, the world laughs with you. When you cry, you cry alone. Well And said. so his thing is that he's going through, he is the most tortured dude. It's just the story of this guy being so tortured by such a Machiavellian force. But he keeps smiling, like maniacally laughing his way through it. Um, a man after my own heart. Yeah. It's, it's, old, it's old school, dude. It is literally old school. No, that's, very, that's very good. I like that. I like that. Uh... Right, so we still haven't decided. Does this count as two bad things or one bad thing? The land courts bill or EWC? Because they, they're they part of the same thing, which is to significantly weaken property rights, right? Because the one says, we're, we're going to expropriate things, but don't worry, you know, the, the legal system will still protect you. And then the other one says, ah, no, the, legal, the legal system won't, law. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I jumped in there because... We can expropriate things without compensation. Yes. Or at below market value compensation. No. Right. And that, and everyone, I mean, so here's an anecdote. I don't know if I should. Anyway, there's this coffee shop in Linden where I like going. And it's really zhuzh and nice. And I have the salmon bagels. And I think I've recommended it before. And on the morning that the expropriation bill is passed, 
I go there and I've sort of made friends with one or two of the regulars and there are other regulars that I that I recognize and I know and we might not at each other, mainly ignore each other. We don't really know. Anyway, so I see like a regular that I know well now and he's with a couple of others and they're chatting and someone says Zimbabwe and I can't work and they're saying this country <laughs> is going the same way as Zimbabwe and how unfortunate it is. And, um, and they're talking about ESCOM. And I'm like, guys, dude, I mean, <laughs> don't, don't <laughs> worry tell about you, that. <laughs> We've right, got bigger problems. <laughs> you've got the right, you've got the right analogy, but you're really underselling it. <laughs> Did you hear what happened with the expropriation bill this morning? Um, and they said, no, uh, what happened yesterday? And so I told them a little bit and one of the guys pushed back. So, so most of them were upset um, and and the, and the first line was, you know, I thought this thing went away. Didn't we deal with this with the constitutionals not changing? Um, and but then one of the guys pushed back by saying, no, but hold on, the judiciary, Almin Duplessis, said the judiciary is going to be able to protect us against it. And I remembered Almin, who's a professor at uh, Northwest, and Anthea, Dr. Anthea Jeffrey, um, had. Uh, a clash in the in the pages of News Twenty Four, where Almin said we're a bunch of alarmists, and Anthea wrote back, and I sort of yeah had chatted with me a little bit about it, and I mean, it was already not true. I mean, it's already the case that if someone says, "Look, this a law will allow bankrupt municipal officials to take people's holiday homes," and uh, you know, peri-urban businesses, factories that aren't being used because the electricity is always off, so they're waiting for like a stable <laughs> alternative solution. You know, all that kind of underutilized land, which is explicitly earmarked for expropriation without compensation, uh, as well as you know, invaded land, which is also specifically earmarked for expropriation without compensation, land which with which the owner has lost control or land which the owner is... Uh, owns primarily for the purpose of selling it at a profit rather than by using it in some other fashion. Those are EWC characteristics, according to the bill. She said, even if it does that, the main reason we need it, dude, this guy told me this again. It was amazing to find someone who believed it. He said, <laughs> no, she explained, the reason we need expropriation without compensation is because we need the government to be able to give land to people to give them title deeds. And I said, oh, uh, I said, are you saying the government has to take more land to give it to them? He said, no, no, no. The government already has lots and lots of land and it's not being well operated. So it has to give it to the people. And that's expropriation. <laughs> so <I'm>, expropriation okay. <laughs> is not in this guy's version of reality. <laughs> and also, by the way, according to two sections of the expropriation bill, which are doing this, another separate two sections. They try and define expropriation as when the government gives you private property. <laughs> and therefore, without compensating you. So I'm going to, Nick, I'm the government. You're a dude. I'm going to give you a farm without compensating you. Okay. So there's already the first paradox. <laughs> Second one, I'm going to call it expropriation. <laughs> and dude, we need I, I that. 
and we obviously the, the, i mean we really do need that like there's 22 million people living on like the, land. The, it all needs to be privatized totally <laughs> yeah no that's oh no okay so i must say that the media has been sleeping on this one dude Big time. there's nothing at all yeah i mean in the afrikaans pages it's nice that well, no, the, all the Afrikaans when media. i say the media i mean the, the english-speaking mainstream non-daily friend yeah 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 um, the Afrikaans papers in general tend to be higher quality and also tend to, you know, get inside scoops on on things that are not to do with the ANC internal elective conference, yeah. which is apparently the only thing the papers can ever get an inside track on. Selling your soul for access is a, is a hell of a thing. Um, but anyway, yeah. that's neither here nor there. Uh, yeah, so, okay, we... We've been hit by that. Let's go back to Joburg. So Joburg has been lost by the coalition government. Uh, we thought this was a bad idea to go into it in the first place. So for, via our own logic, doesn't this mean that it's a good thing that they're out? Because now they can uh, focus on their other on their other municipalities where they have a much better chance of actually getting things to run. What do you make of that argument? I think it's... I don't think it's a great one. I think that... My sense is if you go back and listen to Two Crickets uh, December last year, January, um, we said that the... that the worst time for this thing to happen, the worst way that this goes, is that the coalition gets broken. Pofalata gets decapitated politically long enough into it that people have started to feel like, oh, you know, DA has been around for a while. Coalition has been around for a while. What's, what's right. happening? Are things getting better? Long enough that it feels like they had enough time to really do something tangible, but not right. so long that they actually had enough time to do something tangible. Right. <laughs> so long enough to take the blame, um, but not long enough to actually fix anything. And long enough to, to make it seem like, wow, they really did have it. They really were in charge. And now yes. if it breaks, it's their own fault. It's because coalition politics doesn't work. So and, and, and as an aside on that, what, what do you think the, the, the narrative on 702 was of this news? Coalition falls apart because of DA arrogance. So yes. already the whole thing is about... Oh, the opposition, particularly the DA, are all evil, and what a disaster. I guess we should, uh, as, as what is it, uh, Paul of Sullivan said, just vote for a good ANC. <laughs> oh, my God. Really? <laughs> so they didn't go that far, but that's the sort of next logical step, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, dude, so I think that is the... I mean, look, France has showed me the data from his... The new think tank, the uh, I was the HSF, the something social something. The found let's call it the foundation. Okay, yes, the, the foundation. There we go. So, so they that's definitely the F. If the F doesn't stand for France, <laughs> <laughs> the France. <laughs> the France survey uh, shows that like I don't know dude 80% of people dig the idea of coalitions dude my favorite stat and I'm sure I'm allowed to say this and if I'm not mm, sue me don't really sue me because I'm, 
whatever, sue me. There's nothing, you're not going to get anything out of it. But I'm pretty sure I'm allowed to say this. Dude, like 50% of ANC voters said we would like a coalition of opposition parties to get together to replace the ANC. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is this is a sign that the ANC is not in a great place. <laughs> but it's also a sign that the coalition is not in a great place because half of the mm. ANC wants it to work and it's not working. Yes. yes That's how yes. bad things are. I mean, it really is. I was just chatting with a, a radio host whose name I won't mention, who, who I, I kind of feel like I might have clapped his career a little bit because the last time I did an interview with him, we talked about BEE and I was saying how much the Employment Equity Amendment Bill is like BEE on steroids and it's really a bad thing. Um, uh, and there's really a much better way to help disadvantaged South Africans, uh, most of whom are black, but certainly not all black South Africans are disadvantaged, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and anyway, and I haven't spoken to him for several months. And then when we started this interview, he's like, I want a new platform. And you know, had a, had a beef with the producers at the old one because eventually they were like, dude, we heard you talking about BEE and you're being very critical. You can't do that. And I right. was like, well, uh, I've, I'm not going to muzzle myself. Oops. And they were like, well, then you better go. Or he said, I better go, whatever. Anyway, so, but I was chatting with this guy. So like a good dude, like a dude who has, I'm just trying to say, a dude who has, uh, you know, put his principles on the line, walked away from a job. Right. Because he he wants to, uh, because he's a non-racialist and he doesn't want uh, to totally pretend otherwise. You know, he wants to speak his values. He wants to speak his principles. Dude, right. This guy was livid, livid, uh, with the with the coalition, and I and I and I and I and when people get angry about it, I get it. And 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 the problem is this. There is a surgical response, right? Where you say, "Who? Which party was it? Which individual was it?" And in this case, that, it's the Patriotic Alliance. In this case, the PA. Okay, and part of it is not helped by the fact that the that Cope, my darling, um, uh, played well, silly well, to, be, to get the speakership. Yeah. Well, to be fair, uh, this is so. So there's a lot of interesting aspects to this thing, which means it's going to end up in court. The deposition of uh, of. of Okay, before you get into the interesting aspects, because I want you to get into them. Let me wrap this point up. The point I'm trying to make is that there's two approaches, right? The one approach is to get into the interesting aspects, which you're about to do because Nick's a buffer. But the other approach, which most people who don't listen to Two Crickets and a Thorn Tree are going to be subject to, is even if... Okay, so, so one version is the DA is evil and they're arrogant... Yeah. The other version is coalition. The coalition itself, it's just messy. It can't work. Yeah, we need a big party because coalitions don't work. And then that should be the DA or that should be Action SA or that should be insert favorite party here. And both of those are, are, are simple reductions that are very meme And And yes. I think the timing of this is going to give those that reductive analysis the most possible wind that it could have had okay tell us about the yes, details i agree uh so i don't uh, uh, i mumbled under my breath i don't know if you heard big if true if you when you called me a buff um because i only know a few <laughs> but um Nick, you're so pretty this thing big. is gonna this, yeah, well, and, you, yeah. and you tell the truth <laughs> mostly i think so there's a mostly mostly um so there's uh it's been quite weird because 
the ANC often when it tries to collapse these coalitions, it doesn't do it itself, right? It uses other parties as its battering rams. ANC is the party um, of stability. Indeed. So they will they will get like the AIC, it's their favorite lapdog, so to speak, to do this. Uh, the AIC, which is suspected by many to simply be in parliament because of the fact that uh, some ANC voters by mistake vote for it thinking it's the ANC. Because <laughs> <laughs> they appear right next to each other on the ballot and they have very similar colors and logos and 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 you know if you're if you're like a bit hard of sight or something maybe you you're a little old old gogo there you know doesn't have great education your eyes aren't very good you try to put the x on the ANC page and then, it's a stressful situation oh, no, voting is stressful right. i've done it enough now i can see how yeah no i i'm terrified of missing the box so actually i sympathize very much um anyway the aic or one of these other kind of laptops i've got to just add like have you parties. been to a men's bathroom like you were saying gogos i feel like there's a lot of dudes who who, yeah, who no, can't hit a, a large porcelain bowl <laughs> <laughs> no, that's well. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Some someone out there misses, and I think it's actually kind of understandable. Um, yep. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so so these parties call the mo- votes of no confidence, and these parties actually put in the things and make this the most aggressive speeches. Uh, if you want to see another example of this, go and watch the MP for the National Freedom Party in uh, Parliament. That guy. That guy. You'd think is the Ooh. foremost, is like the ANC spokesperson um, yeah. 90% of the time. He does occasionally criticize him. About 90% of the time, you think he's the ANC spokesperson. Because all he does is attack the opposition parties, particularly the DA, but also the others as well, in the most aggressive and vicious terms. He is, uh, yeah. Rabbit. Something that I'm sure people who voted for the NFP, who tend to be IFP voters, probably wouldn't be too happy with if they knew it was going on. But, you know, no one watches Parliament uh, and no one knows who this guy is anyway. So in this case, the ANC decided to get Cope on board to be the... Uh, the, the, the to help the, get the, rid the of Vasco de Harbinger of destruction, yes. Now, you would think that this is impossible because Cope... Uh, is a member of the coalition and has signed the coalition agreement and that Cope's leadership seems to be perfectly happy to stay in coalition with uh, the, the other parties. Yeah, they don't seem um, like reluctant. Terry Lakota, Musweo Terry Lakota does not strike me as a dude although who is like, he's been two minds deposed, about apparently. But this he's been deposed. He's like semi... <laughs> so firstly, you've got like taking out the king and who's the who's the deputy there? I think it's, uh, it's uh, William Adisha, uh, uh, I think. He, he remember he yeah, did that hong 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 yes <laughs> making fun of making, the lady Pando. wasn't it one of the best pieces of south african political television ever but anyway so <laughs> yeah but he by the way i'm just going to say he he also seems like generally uh, politically like fine like a like a coalition dude he seems more yeah he's definitely on board with the coalition uh and what's more interesting is that the faction opposed to him the dennis bloom william adisha whatever faction um is also in favor of the coalition so there should be no problem however their local their local da councillor um colleen makabule i think is her name uh decided that instead uh, she was the rightful representative of COPE and that the Dennis Blum faction had created parallel structures and that essentially no one could fire her. And she decided that she was instead going to make a play for the speaker with the ANC's votes. 
despite uh, already having been elected chair of chairs of all the committees by the um, coalition agreement. Well, precisely because she was chair of chairs, right? She thought, like, I'm, right. chair, I'm already so important, but I need more base time. Look, I've been in this job like two months. No one knows who I am, but I think it's time that I be promoted to the second most important job after mayor. <laughs> so anyway, but, and she... But, yeah, and 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 there was and there was scandal a, floating around Vasco da Gama at the time. Yeah, I'm not saying so, it's substantiated, but you know there was uh, bad news in the press to sort of right uh, leverage. So so she, together with some defecting councillors from the ACDP and from the IFP, voted in favour of throwing out the DA speaker Vasco da Gama. Um, also, uh, uh, so, so all of those parties then leapt into action. The ACDP and the IFP disciplined their councillors, saying this is against the national wishes. But it seems that at COPE, everyone is currently fighting over who's in charge, and there was no one to be able to exercise proper control over this. So here lies in the first kind of legal problem with what's going on here. Has she been suspended from COPE or not? Dennis Bloom she's, she says she's been suspended. She yeah. says she hasn't. Yeah, and considering the fact that she's showing up to council and voting, uh, kind of suggests yeah. that it's sort of it de facto of, she has not been suspended. <laughs> yes, yes, it reminds me a little bit uh, on a Joburg level scale of the way the Weimar Republic started. <laughs> yes, which is sh shortly after the Peace of Versailles, someone leaned out the window—not the Peace of Versailles, the the, the armistice of uh, the 11th right. of November. Someone was like, "Wait, well, who's in charge now?" The, 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 um, not the Tsar, the Kaiser's been deposed, and these dudes just leaned out the window on like Wilhelmstrasse and said, "Germany is now a republic. We are in charge. More information will be shared at a later moment." Thank you for this. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> so, so once once Vasco da Gama had been deposed, what happened next? Well, then Colleen uh, Makapule said, "Well, you know, I was the chair of chairs, and I guess now that means I'm the speaker because I'm I was third most important, now I'm second most important. So uh, now I'm the acting speaker, which is not correct. The rules say that you have to be a." Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, you, the acting city manager is supposed to be the, the, yes. the temporary speaker until a new one is elected. Or the city manager. That's or acting city manager. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Or in this case, it's the acting city manager because I don't think there is an appointed city manager. No. Which well, is another is clue as to how things are not huge. going well. Yeah. <laughs> the fact Where that there's an acting... Unfortunately, Action SA has been not super helpful yeah. on the city manager issue. Indeed. they were fired. Um, yeah. So, so, so Colleen then said, okay, now we're going to hold a, another council meeting to re-elect the speaker, and I'm going to chair it because I'm the acting speaker. And I'm going to put myself forward as the candidate for, acting, for speaker as the acting speaker and then chair my own election. Do you see perhaps the problem here? I mean... <laughs> this is why I remember the city manager in high school, the acting we, In high school, we had like... In high school, we definitely had votes like that. You know, like the <laughs> choir. I remember I was the head of the second basis in grade 11. And then we had to have an election to see who was going to be the head of the second basis in grade 12. And I chaired the election. And I, and I <laughs> stared at the grimy little grade eights. <laughs> and and they voted. Overwhelming numbers. And I, and, and I, 
Honestly, I also counted the votes. I might have miscounted, but I got 110% of the votes. Excellent, excellent stuff, yeah. no, as we know. It was great. It worked. Pure, pure, it definitely worked. Excellent exercise of democracy. So anyway, um, this uh, uh, demonstrates, um, yes, the problem. Um, this was taken to court by the coalition, and unsurprisingly, the court said, you definitely can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> What? <laughs> so then they had a a council meeting chaired by the acting city manager who was acting as speaker um, as it was supposed to happen. And here the PA decided to stick the dagger in the coalition and say, oh, you know that coalition agreement we signed? Actually, um, no. Uh, and in the lead up to in the lead up to the thing, there was also a very tense state of negotiations because now that they had to re-elect a speaker, um, the IFP apparently, at the urging of Action SA, said we demand that the city create a deputy speaker position and appoint one of our people to it. And I think one of the other parties may have wanted an MMC position, an extra one to what they already had. And then the DA said, "No, uh, we signed an agreement." Why should the agreement be changed now? We all agree to this. This is a deal. The only thing that's changed is that they bribed some of our councillors to switch sides. That's the DA's accusation. Um, why should we change the terms? And apparently this was only resolved when the DA threatened to dump the IFP in every single KZN municipality where like, often a single DA councillor is what's holding the IFP in power. Right. Uh, so that was resolved, but clearly not a happy situation. Then things came to a head, and PA and the PA said, "No, we're walking away from this. It's all this coalition is 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 arrogant." And uh, I think the EFF abstained, but actually, say they voted for. Well, and and someone that. else also voted against the coalition. But I talked to one of the councillors, and they said that they thought it was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Who is this? This is a DA mm -hmm. person. Did a DA person? I, it, no one knows because I think it was a secret ballot, which is also stupid. But anyway, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it wouldn't have made a difference though because uh, it was right. like 141 votes to 129 or something like that. Um, but anyway, so once once uh, Colleen Makabula got elected then in as speaker, she immediately called for a vote of no confidence in the mayor. And even though the rules say, according to the DA people, that this is supposed to be a two two weeks of notice, uh, the vote was held, I think, two days or a day after her election, which was today yeah. when we were recording this. So that's why it's going to end up in court. There's all these reasons. Is she suspended? Um, so in other words, is she still a counselor? Uh, is, and, and did she give sufficient notice after being elected as speaker? for a motion of no confidence in the mayor, which was rushed through at an extreme speed. A disaster all round for the coalition, I think. Yeah. Dude, it's really bad. And I think... I think that the... I mean, I think it kind of gets even worse. I don't know if you want to share that story about... Oh, yeah. So, so um, apparently, uh, and I apologize if I mess up any of the details here, but I heard that the DA's karting leader, um, Salim Smanga, 
after these tense negotiations that I talked about where, you know, there was a demand for a deputy speaker position to be created and things like that, um, wrote an op-ed that he gave to several publications, um, not the Daily Friend, other ones, uh, saying, basically, you know, we mustn't put up with minnow parties that are rent-seeking and things like that. Like, these people need to come to the table. It was a, it was an exercise in frustration <laughs> from his yes. perspective. He was venting a bit. This was, this was apparently sent to these organizations and was supposed to be embargoed to only be published after the vote had taken place because obviously he didn't want all of these parties to be called rent seekers by him just before they were about to vote on whether his party was taking control. And um, uh, the uh, uh, someone in one of the publications they sent it to leaked it to the opposition parties ahead of time and said, hey, do you see what the DA Gauteng leader is saying about you? And this was and, before uh, which vote? Was this before the... De that was before the speaker vote. The, that was before yeah, the speaker so that vote. Was, and so apparently part of, you know, part of Cope's beef was like, but, look, we're getting, and, and, we're getting and called the PA for the well. seekers and the PA, they're like, let's, uh, you know, stuff you guys. Oh right. my God, it was, dude, it's such a nightmare. It is. <laughs> I find it. I find it really insightful. Like the thing that fascinates me about it is how human it all is. You know, we we've spoken before yes. about at the <laughs> and you know at the top levels the the sort of um, the beef with sort of uh, infidelity. You know, someone slept with someone else's wife like twenty years ago, but but there's still very real beef about it. Right. Um, because personalities are what they are, and it just turns out politics is run by persons. You know, this is not run by machines. And I think that part of the uh, fascination with uh, a kind of digital dystopia or utopia is that, like, even if it's dystopian, um, uh, it's still amazing, you know. There's so many Hollywood movie movies and TV shows where there's there's some kind of huge computer the size of a building in the middle of a Silicon Valley type place that's right. somehow massaging the outcomes and deciding, basically running the bureaucracy and the administration of of America, a comforting sometimes the world. Yeah, well, it's like, yeah, the alternative is human beings, and human beings are so messy. And in particular, the kinds of human beings that are attracted to being in charge and making these discretionary mm. calls in the first place are not necessarily like I, I think casting politicians as a separate species and damning them all is very tempting. It's a silly idea, but I can see how after a few drinks, even, you know, good. Uh, right. And good I think I think there is some work, truth to, to, to like, you know, oh. politics, certainly. <laughs> Politics certainly does attract people, you know, obviously with egos, for one. Yeah. Right. Because you need a bit of ego to firstly say I should be in charge, and you need even more ego to stand up and say, not only should I be in charge, but I'm going to spend my time, my job is going to be telling other people how great I am. Yeah. Um, and how terrible that other of, fellow is. Indeed, indeed. You need a certain level of kind of disconnection from. Uh, Good What's manners. For? Yeah, 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 yeah. The sort of modesty, um, uh, and 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 that as a result, I think that's why people often think that politicians are weirdos. But firstly, only eighty percent of them are like that. 
<laughs> yeah. And secondly, you know, it's not like politics is the only industry where this happens. I, uh, you know, can think of other things. Um, acting is often filled with yeah. people like this too. Oh. Uh, Dude, our and, industry, uh, whatever it is. Yeah, our industry too. Um, think tanking, opinion writing, uh, even, yeah. you know, and I'm sure almost everyone who works in an office has met some colleague who is similar, even if you're in accounting, you know, there's that one guy yeah. <laughs> who's just, yeah. But so, but so it's not just that they're in stuff. It, part of what's weird about it is that is I, I saw this video that um, tried to describe what else beyond the 10,000 hours you need to become an expert. And it was Veritasium. I've recommended some other stuff that he's done. And he sort of said, you know, there's a couple of factors that you need beyond just putting time into something to really become an expert in it. Hmm. And one of, the, one of the essential ingredients is that it has to be a well-designed game. It has to be a game in which you can really exercise control. So you can go to the roulette wheel in a casino. <laughs> or the, 10,000 times. You can go there for 10,000 hours, dude. You're not better at relating. I mean, you could be marginally less worse at relating, but it's just not a skill that you can gain because there isn't enough control to be had in the first place. So that's one thing. Another thing is like, even if you are in control, you need to be getting feedback that is rewarding you for when you do better and punishing you for when you do worse. And he goes into... Um, he sort of touches on a literature that's apparently developed in sports psychology um, to do with uh, the plateauing of superstars and of, and of just professional stars because they stop training, because they stop dealing with coaches that say, dude, you have to do this drill, right? You have to put the ball in the corner and do 20 corners, then take a five-minute break, then do 20 more corners. You need to serve, and I'm going to be watching you serve, and I'm going to be criticizing your every move for two hours. That's what we're going to do now. It's like they get to a certain, once you, you do that, you do that, you do that for years. And then you get to the pro leagues and your career becomes about warming up, playing, cooling down, keeping your body fit, resting, exercising, eating well, uh, warming up, playing. You know, if you've got a tournament where you're playing every other day, you're not training on the off days. You're, you're keeping right. yourself warm or relaxing, but you're not training. And so there's apparently like a, a marked plateauing that happens because you're, because you're not getting the feedback. In other words, you can keep doing a thing and it really does have a skill, but, you, but something is not punishing you when you bugger up and not rewarding you when you get it right with sufficient acuity to bring out the best in you and, and get you to, to shelve the worst. And I don't know which it is. I mean, sometimes the nihilist in me thinks that politics is all just like a roulette wheel but i think that there is a skill to it and the amazing thing about the coalition is that is like is that you would think the stakes are now high enough and it's all obvious enough that <laughs> that this is like you're getting punished and rewarded for for doing right and doing wrong but actually it's not because to start with the media generally speaking the the first line of attack the first line of accountability esteem-wise, uh, booze and yays, the coach who says you've done well, you've done badly. Dude, it's like that is a roulette wheel at best. And at worst, <laughs> it's just a bigoted, sorted... It's a crooked 
roulette wheel. That's weighted it's a in a certain direction. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there's some parties that are just always going to get flack, and there's some parties that are always going to get uh, boosts. And so, and so it kind of I I suspect that if you took um, everyone in the Johannesburg City Council, dude, when the ANC was in charge and when the DA was in charge, and and you and you wind back the clock and you take those same people and you put them in like a well-run company in uh, in some, you know, in Australia, I don't know, some terrible but fairly well-run country, you know, I think that they would, I think they'd be amazing. I think they'd be able to get things done. Not amazing necessarily, not the world's top oh, crack team, right. but they'd be fine. They'd, you know, you'd be able to drive down the road uh, the traffic lights would work. The you know, the sewage wouldn't be gushing out uh, now and then. The 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 world's the continent's largest art gallery wouldn't be underwater and closed for five years in a row now. You know, the, you, people would be able to hang paintings on the wall and open the doors. I mean, we can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and we and we that's and and I think and I think that's why I think it's because a moment like this happens, and uh, and there's no, I I I guess I'm coming back to your original question. Like, okay, the DA's out of it. Isn't that better for the DA in terms of it? It is bad getting into it. I don't think so because I don't think that anything. I don't see any ripples through the esteem market that are sending the right messages. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Um, and frankly, I, don't, one I good, think that's partly their fault for not doing well enough while they were there. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're not. They're not appointing of the city manager thing is 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 possibly the worst thing. And yeah. they would say that that that's not their fault. But regardless of whose fault it is, it's uh, that's that's one of the very important things that you need to do if you want to turn things around. Is you need to get a city manager. City manager is the most important position in a bureaucracy. By far. In fact, arguably in the whole of the city's government. In fact, you could you could say if you were a very technocratic person, which I'm not, but you could say uh, that uh, all the politicians need to do is appoint. Yes. Yeah. The, the mayor's, mayor's job, job is to, to appoint a city sensible manager. city manager and then let him run the city. Now, I don't agree with that because I don't think the bureaucrat should be that powerful. But in the way our system currently works, that's kind of what it is. <laughs> yeah. And they got stuck. I mean, they did get stuck. And and the Action SA, that thing with that that EFF crook, who Action SA kept trying to put in the city yeah, manager position, and uh, denying the DA candidate on the basis that he'd had one meeting with the mayor before yeah, he being had nominated, lunch with her, as, I think, beforehand. as if trying to check if 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 you you know, I don't know. It, it was really silly, really, really silly and really unfortunate from... He and it ended is, up getting hired by Twana, I think, in the end. Yeah. So, I didn't, you know, you, you, can see, you can see that this is... this is Joe Berg's last is Twana's benefit in this case. The good yeah. guy. The good guy was hired by Twana. Exactly right. So, and Twana, I mean, anyways, Twana's going to... I think... But this is what we said last year. and I, But I want to reiterate it. So, I think that um, the line that I used, if I remember correctly, was that Pretoria, the road to <laughs> the road to the Union buildings leads through Pretoria. That was my clever little line. Um, 
no no lies detected <laughs> <laughs> because because Tuane is the only one of the major Gauteng coalitions that that can be kept stable on the numbers without relying on, on, the, a, on this EFF thing. I, I believe yes. in Joburg, by the way, the EFF abstained as they normally do. They normally vote against everyone, but abstain from voting for anyone, if that makes sense. Right, right. So, so but Twine, Twine, and Twine, the DA has been in charge for long enough that uh, it should have been able to um, make some good appointments further down the bureaucratic chain through the years, you know, make good replacements and so on and so forth. So oh. if they can, if Twana is being better run, if, if there is substantial, if Twana starts looking a bit more like Cape Town in a sense, and I'm not saying that it's going to have Clifton beachfront property deliciousnesses. And I'm not saying there's only so much you can do glass. with the clay that is, uh, <laughs> Twane. Yes. So, but like, you know, if it's, if it's, if it's clearly a cup that is holding more water, um, is less battered, um, and and ordinary people are starting to feel that, and starting to feel like it's okay to say that. Like it's not like I'm some weirdo pointing out the one little uh, side path that's been had the grass trimmed. But it's like no, really, you can say, guys, this has been fairly neat and nice, and it's it's a it's a step in the right direction. I think that uh, substantially boosts the odds of a change of power in the union buildings. But the ANC's path to back to the union buildings in 2024 is also through Pretoria. If they can show that Twana is just about the same as Joburg, is just about the same as anywhere else outside of the Western Cape, then the DA, and I think it's the weirdest thing, but like there are people who talk about the DA as sort of being like two parties, like a Western Cape DA and then a Kharteng DA or rest of the country DA kind of a thing. And I never hear that analysis in the mainstream media. Um, but well, I because think... they're too busy reporting on who's backing Zwedem Kizi this week. But anyway. Yes. <laughs> but I think that that is, I think that that's kind of, that's the biggest question mark, really. It's like, can the non-Western Cape DA, because the Western Cape DA can proved already that it can run a coalition. Yes. Because it ran. Run it a coalition to... and run a government. Yes. It's, it's done um, both of those things. We were we were getting a, a talk from from Gigi Elcock recently. He uh, he was full of praise for Jordan Hill Lewis, the DA mayor of Cape Town, and I I have yet to hear what I would consider substantive criticism against him. Uh, yeah. So they are continuing to to run pretty tight ship in in the Western Cape, relatively speaking. I mean, compared to the rest of South Africa, <laughs> and even then, it's like even compared to some mostly functional countries. But dude, so this segues me to back to the land court bill and the expropriation bill, because mm. my line on that has been, I okay, you can call it two things, you can call it one thing. If you want to call it one thing, I want to call it two different things because I think each one of those things is so mad. But call it right. one thing because yes, the, the the only defense you can make is against the expropriation bill allowing expropriation without compensation of property purchased for profit or property that's been invaded amongst others, is that at least a judge, some sober and judicious person is going to preside over the decision and is going to see the folly of uh, exposing the puny citizen to the predations of the state. The land court bill says, no, this thing is going to be presided over by 
sort of assessors that can be drawn from the pool of drawn from the sausage factories of the Marxist sausage factories called universities, land activists in South Africa can tell who you good or bad, depending on your race. You know, these silly people um, that I've, that I've clashed with before the kinds of people who, you know, wrote untitled the first major book about uh, title deeds in South Africa on the, since expropriation without compensation was tabled, who said black people can't handle private property. You mustn't let them have private property because they can't handle it. Which Andilem Klitama said to my face in front of millions of people on ENCA the other day. You know, like racists, racists, racists. I just, I just can't believe that this sort of stuff just kind of goes. I wouldn't call it unnoticed, but kind of uncommented on. Yeah, it doesn't. It somehow doesn't excite people that like this racism is is that is the that is the most pure undisturbed vein running from DF Malan through Favurt, through Buerta to today. It's still through freaking Milner and, and <laughs> that was like yeah, that was like the justification. Yes. Exactly. That was the justification behind the colonization of Africa was that you know these people they're all very nice and such, but they can't actually run things for themselves. <laughs> Dude, it is it is somehow the, the amazing thing about that vein of thought is that although it has been dissipated and, uh, and diluted and all kinds of things, like it is still most pure and most profound the closest you get to the to the corridors of power. Like those mm-hmm. those pipes going through the the parliament and the union buildings. That's where that that water is. Mm, it's gushing still, and it's it's atrocious. It's a it's a stain and a shame, uh, but there it is. The the thing that I worry about beyond the immediate, uh, and, and we should talk about the internal politics of the ANC, although you poo-pooed it, because I think that it's important to understand well, why I, I, these things are passed. discussing the issue. I'm poo-pooing no. the sole focus on the ANC's internal politics. It's yeah, important yeah. to know what's going on in the ANC's internal politics. It's also important to know about literally any other party as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, yes, no, <laughs> same page. But, but, but I, but I, the, the thing, the, the, the segue, I'm tr- the connection I'm trying to draw to the successful improvement, the marked tangible improvement of administration and governance and economic performance in the Western Cape. Re- let's remember, this is the first year where more construction happened in Cape Town than in Joburg, I think since 1860. Oh, I mean, really? I did not 18, know that. 1886. Well, 18, 18, 18, no, no, no. What's the date? 1896. Yeah, dude, they, they pipped Joburg by like, by like 20 billion. It was like 176 billion versus 156 billion rands worth of construction, respectively, in the two uh, extended city areas. It's amazing. And I can see because I've been looking to buy an apartment. Like, you can, you know, in Rosebank, there's several new apartment buildings going up, and in the central business district of Cape Town, massive apartment buildings, massive uh, uh, corporate real estate. Uh, the suburbs continue to sprawl. You know, it's like anyway. So it's a, it's a, that's a real shift in 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 uh, in economic aspirations. And uh, my whole life, it's been clear that like if you want to go for money, you stay in Joburg, and if you want to go for like a relaxed, pretty Vob, you go down to Cape Town. Chill Vob, but 
Yeah. Yeah, like maybe into advertising or like some international thing. Like you want I'm to catch those design, bro. Yeah. You know, I like to take walks on the mountain, do mushrooms on Devil's Peak. <laughs> oh, it's serene. Dude, I got to tell you, when there's more construction happening in Cape Town and then Joburg, that means the money, the serious yes. money, not the advertising money, the boring money, the accounting money, the 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 bricks and mortar money, the money that like that actually sticks. You know what I'm saying? The, the, the money yeah, that matters yeah. in, a, in, a, in a manner of speaking. The high um, roller money. That stuff is betting okay. Okay, so here's, here's the problem. The expropriation bill, the land courts bill, the lawful entering on premises bill, you know, all of the stuff which basically says, and by the way, in, in, in you know, Cape Town has been recording increases in land invasions. I think they're happening everywhere. It's just Cape Town's the only people recording. They're the only ones who report them where the cops show up to take the notes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can see it everywhere else. And this totally, you know, this combination of bills legitimizes the land grabs at every single step of the journey. In Somerset West, apparently, there was this case where people, like this farmer who let people onto his land, then more land was taken, he confronted them, the farmer was killed. The people are still on the land and moving more people in to, like, take over more of the stretches that weren't occupied before. Okay, that's still illegal. At least that's still illegal on paper. Imagine if that's legal on paper, excepting the killing bit. That's not going to be legalized, but all the other bits will be. I mean, are oh, like in process. I'm not making, I'm not inventing this. Okay. No. I think that the, I think the most likely scenario, and this week really distills it, is that the ANC drives forward with its National Democratic Revolution agenda. And not every ANC member wants it. And most ANC voters do not want it. But it keeps right. going forward according to a logic that let's get into in a moment. And the coalition is like some flippant tennis player who's actually been playing roulette and not been getting the feedback on their tennis game. And so their service is like, sometimes they get it right, but it's pure fluke. And they're not actually getting better right. because they're not getting the feedback from the media that they need to become more like tennis players and less like roulette players. So the coalition does not get it together, barring a miracle. And then what happens? The, the country's economy goes from bad to worse. We have lost wealth in real terms for 10 years. But most people kind of have been getting older. And so they've been upwardly mobile in that sense. And like elder people have been retiring and they've still got enough to kind of survive. And it's like you curb your expectations and you enjoy family time. You know, you, you learn to live with it. And it's not too bad. Right. You, you readjust it's, it's your a, It's been a slow trickle down rather than a short, sharp shock. But this thing really, and then the pandemic has kind of, you know, it's like when you see someone who's lost a little bit too much weight and you mm. think, ooh, that's not sexy anymore. Like we were lean and kind of, okay, it's kind of interesting, like 90s vibes. Uh, yeah, we were we were we were kind of a little bit Karen Knightley, but you know, yeah. you can make a case that that thin Karen Knightley is still very attractive. Yeah, um, and then even when she was looking at her most skeletal, and then it's just like, oh, mm, I think you really yeah, this has crossed really... the line into, do you have a medical condition? Someone needs a pie. <laughs> like you're not dying, you're still functional, but you just look like you wouldn't do well if there was a kind of problem. There's no, yes. the reserves have been tapped. Okay. There's, right. When you sit down, the, the, the cushion between skin and bone 
is sort of missing. So you need a cushion outside. And if someone takes that cushion away and you've got to sit on the concrete, you're going to pierce yourself on your own hipsis. And it's a problem. Yeah. And yeah. the little cushion that we've got left gets ripped away. No more FDI. Dude, I just literally, on the basis I think of a video we put out this morning, I got a phone call from someone who's building 500 units right now today who said, I, I watched what you said. I have to report to headquarters. I think we need to stop. That's not a lack of feeling. It's not a lack of feeling. And I'm like, dude, just ignore what I said. It's fine. It's going to be fine. You know, I didn't say that. But I wanted, I mean, I, I, I started. You want to say, to say that. that. You want to say that because you don't <laughs> want to tell a guy, hey, by the way, um, you need to absolutely kibosh this thing, which lots of people depend on for, for income uh, and also disrupt all of your plans for the next few months because, oh, you know, it'll be fine. I mean, I hope it's fine, but there's, there's no guarantee. Yeah, so then you try and think about what you can do to make it better, and that's the right, that's the right attitude. But look, I'm saying in the gloomy scenario, if foreign direct investment goes away, domestic investment gets whittled away, we, we continue to import inflation, the, the, the world economy is not doing us favors, it's, 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 it's grim times, and things go from bad to worse, they get so bad, the ANC and the EFF have to get in coalition together because the ANC drops below 50%. And now that it's done a bit of a radical agenda, the EFF does the same thing. It doesn't officially get into coalition with it, but it doesn't get in its way, and it means the ANC's plurality gives it sufficient legway to run the show. Maybe it gets into right. coalition with it and Julius Malema becomes deputy president. In either one of those scenarios, the policies the, the are what matter, could, not the particular. could also roll out what they did to the, the, the DA, to the ANC, right, where you, you don't go into formal coalition, but you actually hold the, the whip hand in reality. And that you sit in the in the shadows and you vote yes or no depending on what you feel like on that particular day. Yeah, and you make sure that Tulis and Clancy stays where he is because he is going to use the Employment Equity Amendment Bill in the harshest possible way to pick winners and losers. You make sure that Patricia DeLille, if she starts going soft, gets replaced by another minister who's going to use the regulations in a strict way. You make sure, in the meanwhile, that the land court gets stuffed with all the worst kinds of assessors, and you keep calling for land invasions. Uh, because no one's stopping you. It's legitimate to even say kill the Boer, so you might as well say invade the Boer. Uh, and uh, those land invasions get legitimized. All of this chases away FDI. All of this takes the world's highest unemployment rate on record and makes it higher. All of that contributes to, you know, tinderbox logic where uh, for one excuse or another, it's easy to get a group of very disgruntled young men together to do violence to block highways, to attack ports, to ransack small towns. Uh, what was the line about clicks attack? That kind of thing again and again. Mm. And uh, <laughs> yeah. Line. No, it was just an order. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a phrase. It was much less complicated than that. <laughs> it's Julius saying, attack! I'm putting earrings on the, on the order. No, yeah. <laughs> and, and by 2029, I don't see how you have a free and fair election in South Africa. And once there's not a free and fair election, once the election is stolen, which in this scenario, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm saying this is a worst case scenario. Right. Then what happens? Then people say, dude, the DA has been unable to get a coalition together anywhere outside of the Western Cape. 
The coalition parties have been playing jazz when they needed to play marching band music. The only guys beating the marching drum or beating the war drum and it's on racist Marxist grounds and nothing is working. We need secession. Now, the Western Cape is too full of pansies to secede, but KwaZulu-Natal <laughs> is well supplied with people. You know, you look at the Don, the case that I made. I don't support the Russian invasion. I've condemned it. But the case that I've made for trying to understand its internal logic is that there was an illegal, and it was an illegal transfer of power that happened in Ukraine in 2014. Their own constitution was violated by the deposition of the pro-Russian leader at the time. They had a vote that was fairly fair fairly shortly thereafter. But in the meanwhile, the seeds of secession were sown and were given fruit. Now, I, I think the complicated thing is that you, you need people who are willing to die for this. And there's lots of those in Donetsk and Lugansk and not a lot of those in the Western Cape. You also need money. And Russia had a lot of money backing. to spread. I think the foreign backing is going to come out of the Western Cape. It's going to go to KZN. But not just I there. Think, I mean, I, I, I think that there could be, that you could very, that, that KZN or whoever could definitely find a patron somewhere in the world. Uh, you know, <laughs> if you looked at the foreign news, there's a lot going on right now. And I think uh, you, it doesn't matter what your ideological outlook is. You can probably find someone somewhere in the world willing to give you some guns and money. Sure. So someone else. But I think the most likely scenario is that is that the Western Cape secessionists sponsor a Zulu army. I saw polling. It looks like like more than half of people in KZN would be down with becoming their own country already. <laughs> yes. And the IFP will probably win the provincial government next um, uh, uh, election. And, so and once that's you have going, a party, yeah. Once that's going, that gives even sober-minded people a reason to think that the cap should secede. I think that this week, portends, harbingers, you know, uh, is an omen of uh, the end of South Africa. Now, I'm not saying that this is inevitable. I'm not trying to yeah. at all say this is beyond our control. What Nick and I do every day is one way to think about it is try and make that scenario less likely. Um, yeah. But I'm flagging that scenario because... Yeah, it's because no longer I think it's, unthinkable. I think, yeah, dude, I don't think it's I don't think it's silly. I have hung up with secessionists. Some of my best friends are secessionists. That's not a, but you know, some some pe people that I'm all I would call friendly with and and that I you know that I like. Um, uh, I, I've, I've you know anyway, I've I've always disagreed with that aspect of things, but and I've always thought it was kind of kooky and academic. Um, I've never seen a, a real path. Maybe I have, and and I'm and I'm just reawakening to that prospect. But uh, in fact, I'm sh I'm sure I have. When it when I thought the constitution might be amended, I thought that on a similar basis, um, hmm. if, you know, if 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 the major money hub, if Gauteng uh, goes haywire, it just makes sense for reasonable people to try and step away from it. You know, there's there's an electrical fire happening right. there. You can't put once, it out with water. You can't once the constitution, once the democratic legitimacy, once all these things are broken, the legitimacy of the entire state begins to unravel. And you start things that were completely unthinkable begin to become thinkable. Um, and as as you know I sometimes describe myself as a liberal, sometimes as a conservative, sometimes as a conservative liberal. This is exactly what kind of puts the chill up my spine. Because even if I think that a, a, a 
independent cape, for example, could work. And I don't, I have reasons why I don't think it would be that successful. Um, I do not like the process by which it will happen, which I think will be very disruptive and ruin a lot of people's lives. And that's why it's a scenario that needs to be avoided, if possible. Because when you have fundamental breaks to the social compact, uh, everyone with an idea starts to think, well, look, you know, if the government is going to violate our fundamental human rights here, then maybe, you know, we can do what we like. We can do whatever we like in this circumstance or this circumstance. We can set up some new harebrained scheme. We can create, I don't know, a, 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 I don't know, an ethnostate or an ideological project here or a fiefdom here or a whatever. And that Dude, if you, is not if a you world that to live in. Yeah. There are a lot of little kingdoms in this country. Yes. Also, there's like a lot of mines. We haven't suffered the resource yeah. curse. Go through so Africa. I, uh, Go. <laughs> I, I once I once read read an interesting paper which is about you know trying to look at from a kind of almost statistical point of view things that um, contributed to to civil wars, ongoing civil wars in in, in in African countries. And one of them was large foreign population, like like diaspora population, which South Africa has. So that's people overseas who can basically send money and raise political support for whatever secessionist or rebel movements you have within the country. And two was a method of uh, funding internal conflict through raw materials. Usually it's oil, but it can also be diamonds. It can also be gold. And what has South Africa got an awful lot of? (laughs) We got gas under the Karoo. We got oil. uh, We got oil off the coast. We got uh, uh, gold all over the, the, the... Northern provinces, um, and we got diamonds in a couple of places too. No, this is not a good reason. Lots of platinum yeah. group metals, dude. I think, and another thing, you know, I was just uh remembering I, I talked about this guy once for like a whole episode, twice one one on this issue, one on the Rwandese thing. But this uh professor at the University of Warwick who also went to the Princeton Institute for Advanced Learning and won like a MacArthur Genius Grant, I first came across him. Sharun Mukant, Professor Sharun Mukant. I came across this guy, I don't know, by happenstance, like stoned and drunk, cruising the <laughs> internet like alleyways uh, when I was like 22. In the wee hours of the night. Like, ooh, for sunrise, bro. Sunshine. When you finally get to sunrise, <laughs> then you can really see clearly oh, through I've, the internet. I've, I've been through those days. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's a strange feeling. Cobwebs. Yeah. And anyway... He, the, the, the general thesis was something like this. Um, let's say bloodline groups, ethnic groups, race groups, whatever. If you've got a big group, a majority group, a minority group, and then a small minority group. The hypothesis was that, okay, first start out with the majority group, like as a standard matter, the majority group is going to have a strong incentive to go for majoritarian rule, right? Right. The minority group, if it's richer, is going to have a strong incentive to go for minority rule on the basis of some kind of power play. Okay. And and both of those, you know, the one is democratic in the purest sense of the term. The other one is oligopolistic or uh, something approaching that. 
Um, but, but then the third group, what's the, what's the best interest for the third group? And there's three strategies that are roughly envisaged. One is to lump itself with the majority group in terms of like an esteem allegiance and go for majoritarian politics. The other is for the tiny group to lump itself together with the minority group in, in some oligopolistic uh, interest. Uh, and that kind of thing obviously wouldn't work if the tiny group is like the untouchables in India, because there's no way for it to, it doesn't have the, the economic power. Also, when you talk about tiny group in India, you mean like 100 million people. Yes. <laughs> Just like yes. 10% of the population. Yes. 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 <laughs> I think it's 80 million out of like 1.2. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, but the other option is, so the thought is the... Generally speaking, the most robust option is going to be constitutional democracy, i.e. a set of rules that constrain majoritarian rule. So there's generally speaking a kind of the majority vote will determine who's in charge, but there's a set of constitutional rules. I like to think of liberal democracy as a society-wide peace treaty where... And yeah. in ideally, you want every faction to basically respect every other faction. However, those factions are constituted and not in the sense by breaking them down into protecting each individual within them, not protecting the groups as a whole. You do get countries where you protect the groups as a whole, like, for example, Lebanon, where your parliament is divided up based on religious groups. So like Bosnia, Shias get yeah. this much or you know, Bosnia, Serbia. Yeah, those those uh, what's 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 Bosnia's full name, Bosnia and Herzegovina. And then it's also got. What's the the Serbian part of Bosnia called? It's like it's got a funny name. It starts with an S. Anyway, sorry, never mind. Um, that doesn't work because those groups then just end up fighting for control of the state anyway. So you just yeah. are kind of back to the original problem. Yeah, the peace but treaty you, is the terms of war. Yeah, exactly. Um, but liberal democracy is a peace treaty that actually lasts, and we know that it lasts because we know that a country like Britain. Um, which has been ruled by it for a fairly long time, despite having a contentious history and lots of division within it, has not devolved into a bloody civil war that has murdered everyone since the 1600s. Yeah, since the glorious revolution. So, um, with a few hiccups on the periphery here and there. But, like, so, yeah, the, the, the thought here is, uh, to put it in, to, to stick to your metaphor, the little guy, you know, when two elephants clash, um, it's the grass that gets trampled. When when two major parties fight, it's the it's the third party, that's the little party that's going to be squeezed. Uh, much better to try and find a peace treaty so that the so that the littlest party doesn't get uh, yoked in by the one or the other on unfavorable turns into fighting the war with them and being crushed by the other. You know, you you can be the cannon fodder right in the front of the line. Thank you very much. None of that. So, so Mukant and this paper was co-written, sort of fed in some data, sort of, um, you know, there's like Polsai data, anyway, um, from various countries over decades, maybe centuries, to try and substantiate this and graph this and sort of show kind of best fit analysis um, and, and also show that like, kind of part of the hypothesis is like if you if you apply if you really want to screw it all up go for that third little party and get it to revoke constitutionalism because if you do so it sends such a profound signal that 
this is not working to anyone's advantage. Everyone thinks this, you're in a prisoner's dilemma. You're in, you're in a game theory moment where everyone thinks that they can do better by abandoning the current strategy, um, right. that the current strategy is not going to work. By contrast, if the, if the littlest group, the third minority, goes for constitutionalism, they will find a minority within the majority that also likes constitutionalism. Because on another axis, you know, they might all be the same race, but they're going to be different in some other way. Uh, and, and a minority within the second minority uh, lumped together should create a sufficiently strong majority in order to maintain a constitutional norm. Uh, and if that's not happening, things are so badly messed up that you're you're sort of headed for civil war at worst or maybe secession, splitting, something like that. And they tested it across multiple countries. You know, the kinds of countries you're talking about in Eastern Europe, um, in East Asia, all along the strip uh, where there have been so many splits uh, across Africa. And as in terms of highlighting case studies, they sort of said one way you can think about it is this. If you want to know where South Africa is going, look at the colored vote. You know, one thing you could do is you can think, this was written, I think, in 2010. One thing that you can, at, at which point, the colored vote, to me, uh, seemed like an insulting term uh, because Patricia DeLille uh, was the most prominent uh, uh, colored politician, uh, ran the Independent Democrats, uh, ran it on a non-racial basis, as far as I could tell, as a sort of lighty watching the news, um, folded herself into the DA, uh, made a case for, for, for constitutional democracy in South Africa. And I'm not saying it was all perfect, but it was inspirational, uh, aspirational, forward-looking, uh, reconciliatory, pragmatic, uh, kind of uh, good-spirited rainbowism, you know, Frank rainbowism, not a joke rainbowism. And Mukant said, dude, Mukant said this. He said, dude, if the colored vote, if, if the preponderance, not of colored voters, but the perception of the colored vote mm -hmm. is that it is for race nationalism rather than for constitutional democracy, then you can kiss South Africa goodbye. Not you can kiss it goodbye. You've got to fight against that. You know, as long as the constitutional norms are in place, you have a mechanism for trying to address whatever grievances are causing this kind of dysfunction. But it just strikes me uh, how prescient that is, and how again coming back to this week, the fact that it's the Patriotic Alliance, and we have touched. I've made this exact point. But, you know, the fact that it's the Patriotic Alliance screwing things up speaks to how stupid this is. I mean, like most kind of human beings, if you want to classify it like that, which is unfortunately the, the kind of thing that the, these terrible political situations um, require one to do to avoid uh, putting one's head in the sand. Like most colored voters clearly vote for the most racially diverse party in the country um, whose, whose principles, you know, are, right. are very and, constitutional. And against, and against, against the racial nationalist ANC. Yes. So, so I'm not at all trying to um, there's clearly heterogeneity. Some Most colored voters vote that way. Some colored voters vote another way. Some people who vote for the Patriotic Alliance aren't colored at all. Um, I, I'm, the, the, the primary factor is, is not actually how people look on the ground, but how this is conceived of by others, how this is thought of by the political actors um, and by human beings who might know, you know, this classic thing that the IRR keeps pointing out. It's like... All, 80% of South Africans 
are not racist. They don't want, you know, if you go into a household, no one's going to not feed you because you look the wrong race or give you different cutlery or crockery. You know, if you're, if you're the same class, you're going to be accepted everywhere. Um, and there are classes issues, but anyway, um, we, we consistently find, you know, 80% of black people say they haven't experienced any personal racism in the last five years. That's shocking because most people think I'm not racist, but everyone else is. And it's those second-hand <laughs> yes. perceptions that define, so, like, one of the great insights since Machiavelli is, like, dude, what you privately think in your own home, that's, we can all think that homosexuality is okay. Like, I think it's okay. But if the norm in the public square is that, you know, one person gets fingered as a homosexual and, and someone else says boo, and you think everyone else thinks I have to say boo, otherwise I'm going to seem weird, so you all say boo then the social norm is a strict norm against homosexuality, even though there's only one person who's against it. The The story right. of the king's new clothes, where everyone knows that he's naked, but they all act as if he's dressed, is is a is a canonical part of, of folklore precisely to illustrate this enlightenment idea about politics. It's a depressing and invigorating idea that the ancients also understood. The thing that matters most in politics is not your private belief. It's your public representation of your values and it's that public sense of what the of what the colored vote is doing that has shifted starkly um in the last decade towards race nationalism and it's just it's just another indication i mean again my sense is if you're in the western cape when i've spoken to people in the western cape this conversation feels completely different to if you're in Gauteng. because if you're in the western cape you're like dude if, you know you can't say that the colored people are the colored people are voting for the race nationalists because yes. look out your window. But if you're in Joburg well, or Durban well, or Pretoria yeah. or Northwest, the perception trumps the reality and it's a, and it's a, and it's another toxic cancerous perception on top of the, anyway, it's just in, another. In, in, in colored majority wards across the country, you tend to find the winning party in a lot of places winning with five percent over someone else um usually i mean like a lot of places the votes are split three ways yeah so i mean in that sense it's, it's also just kind of silly to talk about the color vote but no i get your exactly. point that exactly. this perception is 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 not good it's framing not good and for the body politic yes and it doesn't help that people don't talk about it like you know rw johnson often makes the point that um that there's an insufficient amount of analysis that goes to um, tribalism tribal differences uh, and I think I think he has a point I mean I think the ship has sailed like if only people had been talking more clearly about and and look it'll come back in in the scenario that I'm envisaging for sure Zulu nationalism is going to become a very right. impossible thing to and look I think I think but, I think uh, there are certainly corners of the country I know you once described South Africa as a series of rooms. And there are definitely rooms where tribalism or, or in certain guises where tribalism matters. Um, but in others, it's completely irrelevant. Yeah. And, and my point is talking about it doesn't make it the, the, the silly. The silly idea is to think, OK, but we're not talking about the colored vote. Um, no one thinks of Patricia Little or Gaten McKenzie. No one talks about Patricia Little or Gaten McKenzie. As, as as whipping the colored vote away from constitutionalism and towards race nationalism in the hopes that 
a, a colored race nationalist and a black race nationalist in alliance can take out a white and Indian grouping in order to achieve a kind of Marxist utopia. That's not the kind of thing that, that is often said, but that doesn't make it less true in the minds of the people that are making the moves. And this leads me to, you know, I'm trying to work my way towards asking you, Nick, how do you as an ANC MP whose job and prospects are so directly tethered to your popularity, like you know this, you're a politician, you're attracted to this thing, you spend all your time saying how wonderful you are, you know that you depend on this. How do you go ahead and and you know, because the Institute of Race Relations has told you, and they're not the only ones, your own polling has told you, um, People are not that into expropriation without compensation. People are desperately worried about it. People are seriously pissed off with how their lives have been getting worse and are, and are turning away from you on the basis that the material circumstances aren't improving. How do you in that context, like what story do you tell yourself? That's where I'm venturing. I'm venturing to what story do you tell yourself to make it seem like the smart play to, to vote for these two bills to remove Falatse in this way, you know, what's, what's going on there? Well, if I'm a cynic, I say, uh, giving myself and my comrades this power will allow us to exercise more control over the lumpen proletariat and ensure that they stay loyal to the revolution by preventing their, uh, their defection to the capitalist classes. And if I'm a romantic, I say, this is the only way this, we have to go through this pain. We have to f double down now on on the path of socialism because we are that our, our our maladies are because we have strayed from it. It doesn't matter what the people think because in the end they will praise us for having taken this decisive step to take away their property rights. Because as we all know, property rights are the source of all evil. Dude, the Umrah Bola document says both. The Umrah Bola <laughs> document says both. <laughs> right, because it's written by cynics and romantics, <laughs> which is what the ANC is filled with. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think, I think, I think part of part of what a week like this makes me remember is my my own sort of political science philosophy thesis about group agency. And we often talk about the esteem market, but we we don't as often talk about. Uh, Group agency and and the esteem economy is a book written by Philip Pettit, uh, and group agency is another book written by Philip Pettit. Both of them go authored. Go authored. And group agency is a book that tried to argue that there's something very real going on when we say the ANC does this, or the Russian Federation does that, or the United States does the other. In other words, you might think it's just a manner of speaking. You might think uh, that it's just a play on words. Really what you're saying is a whole bunch of individuals have done this or a whole bunch of individuals have that, done that. There's not, an, there's not an extra individual in play. Uh, there's not a group agent. You know, when America goes to war, what are you saying? America's gone to war? No, you really mean a whole bunch of little dudes have gotten in their little ships and they've, and they've gone to war. Um, but I think, 
you know, generals, for example, laugh at that because uh, they tend to know that there has to be a kind of organic whole. You really have to think of, uh, it really helps to think of a kind of organic whole where this is the arm and this is the leg. And if you think of it as a self-contained unit within a certain perspective, it can be very helpful to have like a swarm where each unit has its own intelligence. But even within that, you know, every bee, as it were, in an army is likely to be multiple individuals, likely to be like a, a, a small group of 12 dudes, for example. Um, and with companies, uh, the the idea since the University of Bologna de, 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 de defined itself as an universitatis, as a university, um, in order to avoid paying taxes to the secular power or deferring to the religious power <laughs> a thousand years ago. Um, and ever since the Dutch invented the idea of the limited liability corporation half a millennium ago, we've had a very real sense of the persona ficta, the fictional person in South Africa, sometimes called the legal person, but more often called a juristic person, uh, you know, uh, a company pays taxes. You pay taxes. I pay taxes. But the company pays its own taxes. You can sue me and you can sue you, but you can also sue the company. You know, there's this third person in the room. Even if there's only two people in the company, there's a company, there's like a third person. Marriage is sometimes considered like that too, legally. You know, there's this party and there's that party, but then there's also the union. Um, and, and what Pettit aimed to do was to show that... Um, that there's two mistakes you can make, and they're very well known. Uh, well, the, the first is very well known. One mistake is to think that there's some kind of soul or spirit, geist, that manifests in the group, that makes it real. So, like, in right. you know, it is like a sordid perversion of Christianity. You know, it is like a perfect example of a romantic, the, the worst of romanticism, that people um, believed in the soul, then they kind of stopped believing in the soul, Um but then they saw that like Germany must mean something uh, and it must mean something more something, than the sum of the individuals. Yeah, a German soul. So then they thought of the German soul and that idea was a real... Uh, <laughs> Man, what a stinker. <laughs> but we have, we have talked about that before in our, in our yes. uh, W.E.B. Dubois um, discussion. Yes. Past. So, so, so the, the one wrong idea is to think that there has to be a soul or a, a metaphysical thing. And the other wrong idea is to think that there's nothing going on there at all, is to be like a kind of nihilist about groups. And the way that he gets there is he just asks you to imagine the following three problem in front of three judges. It's like, what's an example? Um, if the person, if the man hit the boy, then he's guilty. This is the case being brought before the judges. And the judge won. He believes that the man did hit the boy. But he doesn't believe that if he hit the boy, he's guilty because he thinks he had an excuse for hitting him. So he says not guilty. And the second judge says, dude, there's no excuse. If you hit a boy, you hit a boy. That's, that's unexcusable. You're an adult, he's a boy. You can't hit a boy. It's not your own child. Um, but he thinks the man didn't actually hit the boy. He's not convinced by the eyewitness who said, I saw this man, I picked him up from a line out. He thinks that that witness didn't cross a reasonable doubt. So he says, the, the rule holds, if you hit the boy, you're guilty, but you didn't hit the boy, so you're not guilty. So they both say he's not guilty, but for different reasons. Right. And then the third judge says, no, he did hit the boy, and 
the rule holds if you hit the boy you're guilty so he's guilty so now what should the judgment be well if we go by conclusion one of the judges said he's guilty and two say not guilty but if so he should be not guilty right two votes for not guilty one vote for guilty majority wins not guilty he's free innocent to god but now what if you ask as as the parents of the boy you're saying Dude, how on earth did you say this guy's not guilty? What's your reasoning? You know, there were two premises. Which one of those premises did you say don't hold? Are you saying it's okay to hit boys or are you saying that guy didn't hit my child? Right. So, okay, let's look at the premises. Two of them said, no, he did hit the child. So on majority rules, the, the court thinks the man hit the child. And two of them, the, the same in the one instance, but a different one in the other instance. Two of them thinks that in this instance, the rule holds, if you hit the child, then you're guilty. So the court holds that he hit the child, and if you hit the child, you're guilty, but it also holds that you're not guilty. It's logically inconsistent. Right. This is called the judge's paradox, and there is an entire industry of computer science nerds and political science nerds and philosophy <laughs> nerds who since group agency have published. It's literally a cottage industry. I mean, there are like journals popping up, like just focusing on just this issue. Every quarter there are academics, there are conferences just about this issue. And what has been proven, but proven in the same way that has been proven that Arrow's theorem in political science has been proven, which is that rank order preferencing is always going to lead to a contradiction at some point. Um, it's proven in the same way that we've proven that there are an infinite number of primes. I mean, mathematically proven, like the hardest kind of proof, the most robust kind of proof that there is. What has been proven is that if you want to get along with a voting-based system where you also have to vote on the reasons so that you are able to give reasons as a group for your decisions as a group, then you have to expose yourself to the possibility that at some point you're going to say, as a group, we believe X, even though none of us as an individual believe X. It is a kind of mathematical vindication that if you want a reason-responsive, democratic way of going about things, democratic because the, the one way to get out of it is, to be, is, is just to give only one person the vote and for him to be logically consistent. But as long as you've got different people with different opinions and they're voting about it and you want them to be reason-responsive, you're going to get a situation like the king's new clothes where everyone right. knows he's naked, but somehow as a group, they act as, no if he's, as if he's wearing the clothes. I mean, mm. not that no one can say it in, in the sense of you have to have a deprivation of free speech. If the system right, is well run... But, but no they one act is willing as if, to say it in a sense. Right? Yes, there we yeah. go. And I think, I think that one of the bugbears, one of the difficulties about the ANC, is that it it is a persona fictor. It clearly has policies. That's why it's worth reading the policy conference notes and the Umrabula documents. Because then you can see what the ANC believes. And the funny thing yes. about what the ANC believes is that if you're a member of the ANC, you kind of do have to act as if you believe it too. In the same way that if you're a judge and you're in the Constitutional Court or the Supreme Court of the United States, you know, I've watched um, Elena Kagan and uh, Stephen Breyer, Democratic judges, Democratic appointed judges. Sorry, you shouldn't say Democratic judges. Democratic appointed justices who hated the Roe versus Wade decision 
And I've seen them both give interviews in the last two weeks. Not the Roe versus Wade decision. The Dodds-Jackson decision overturning Roe versus Wade. Right. They loved Roe versus... They upheld Roe versus Wade. They did not like the striking down of it. They said that it brings disrepute on the court. You know, they and, signed on to such a very, dissents, right. very, very stern dissent. But I have seen them give interviews where they've said to Americans, dudes, you cannot... Um, undermine the legitimacy of the court because of this. You have to move on. There are more cases coming forward. We are still justices working together. We are still non-political. We are still trusting each other. We're still, we still, we have to keep going forward, you know? They don't like saying that, but they have to say that. And it's good that they're saying that. It's, it's, I find it so admirable that they are, that they are putting their sense of duty ahead of their personal conscience. That is what they're doing. Society sometimes requires that to operate. Um, sometimes it misfires and it means not kill innocent people because they're just following orders. I'm not saying that it's a, a, a total excuse, but I'm saying in a well-functioning society, now and then, uh, it's necessary to say, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do this because it's just part of the duty that I've taken on in this role. I don't kind of think it's right, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, you know, sometimes, anyway, I think that, the ANC at some level operates like this. I think it's unsurprising that it operates like this. Every major political party in the world operates like this. They all have right. members. You know, in British Parliament, they all talk about collective responsibility. It's an open story. They often affirm, I didn't like this policy, but because it is the collective decision, I did my best to try and uh, implement and it, even, argue for even it. even more on board with that kind of argumentation, right? And no one takes it seriously. Everyone wants to think like, is this this faction's idea or that faction's idea? Is this Ramaphosa's idea or Dlamini Zuma's idea or Mkhize's idea, et cetera, et cetera. It's the ANC's idea. The party is its own thing. And the crisis, the crisis is that the party has turned against the country. That party, I grew up loving that party. Most South Africans, the vast majority of South Africans grew up loving that party. Even dudes like Tony Leon who, who were running against it had many, many, many nice things to say about that party. You know? And it's, it's not actually the individuals. I think the individuals in that party are better than the party. I think most people think the party is better <laughs> than the individuals in some sense. I think the individuals, I think if you could pluck out, like, you know, barring 10% of people that have gone so mad on the Kool-Aid and whatever, like, I think you could pluck most people out of the ANC and just put them in an incentive structure situation that is reason responsive, where it's tennis with, like, feedback. And I think that you would, you know, I think you'd get some good out of that. But the party has committed itself to an idea in Nasrik, in 2017, it's reaffirmed at his policy conference now. It's going to reaffirm whoever's leader in the Dungas coming up. Uh, that is that is uh, committed to uh, what amounts to, in my opinion, a kind of death warrant for the ANC and or the country. <laughs> and it's and I, yes, and it makes me very sad. It makes it doesn't just make me sad for the prospect that worst case scenario of the country going to pieces. I'm sad. No, I'm, dude, I'm very worried about that. I'm also sad about the ANC, dude. I love that party, and the fact that they voted this stuff through—it's a—it's astounding. It's a it's, shame. Yeah, it's 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 kind of a it's one of those sort of tragic moments all around. It's that at the end of the day, no one is going to really benefit from this, except for a couple of people here or there. But 
by and large, the majority of the people involved in all of this is not going to benefit. And yet we still do it. It's incredible. Dude, and think about how it plays out practically. The, 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 if this thing gets rushed through, which it looks like it might do, the National Councils mm. of Provinces process, the uh, uh, Section mm. 75 of the Constitution, well, 176, 75 says it's the kind of bill, and then there's the rules for how it should be handled. Um, sorry, Rule 240 of the NCOP, it's not a constitutional thing. It's, a, it's an NCOP rule that it set for itself, says that the, it should not take more than six weeks for it to um, have the public hearings about this bill, these two bill, no, the one bill, the other bill, it just signs off if it feels like it. It should not take more than six weeks, may not take more than six weeks to deal with the public hearings for the expropriation bill and to have a vote and then to consent to it. It says it can extend that six-week deadline as many times as once if the chairperson deems it necessary, and that's usually what happens. But, dude, this thing just passed through the National Assembly in one week. Right, from committee to blistering pace. So, mm. so you know, this maybe this thing does get done in six weeks, and then it's sitting on Ramaphosa's desk for a lack of month and a half building up to the policy conference, to the electoral conference. He then the he, he signs it the day before to make sure that um, he, he, he doesn't go into the conference with them saying, dude, why haven't you signed this thing? It's been sitting on your desk for a long time. And it will have been the ANC that did it. It will have included all of the members. You know, he'll be, he'll have a stand to his name and so on and so forth. But it'll be the ANC that's done it. Okay, here's, you know, so obviously we are, the, we are we're, we're, we're working to try and make the NCOP say no to it, send it back for amendments and so on, uh, which I think we've got a realistic chance of doing. Everyone I've interviewed that's interviewed me has like said oh it's a rubber stamp dude it's not a rubber stamp there's a process there we're going to do our best to work the process but i think he has an interesting dilemma for you to also if you treat it like a rubber stamp it's going to be a rubber stamp (laughs) yeah no you've got to you've got to fight we've got to fight to make it a fight um dude what if this thing gets to ramaposa three weeks before the electoral conference and then he says, no, I'm going to veto it. It's unconstitutional. Because, by the way, Jacob Zuma vetoed the expropriation bill of 2015, which was I not as bad. Was, that was delicious. That was so funny. Uh, but it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was amazing. Hi, Rob. Applied a lot of pressure, as did some others. Zuma was like, guys, this is not constitutional. My lawyers are telling me it's not constitutional. Their lawyers are telling me it's not constitutional. Can't sign it. You know? So I think Zuma has more gumption. Maybe he's being very strategic. Whatever. Imagine this scenario. Ramaphosa refuses to sign it, says, must go back to the National Assembly, reconsider its constitutionality, and then re-wins the electoral conference because there's no one else to vote in. And then... And then what? And then Cyril's a hero again. Because I am going to be sending emails (laughs) to him our, my, our lawyers are going to be sending emails to his lawyers, begging, pleading, please don't sign this thing. Please send it back to the, you know, dude, I don't mind giving him political capital to stop this thing. I think it, ne- it needs to be stopped. He could have stopped it much earlier by arguing against it instead of calling for it. You know, he hasn't, he hasn't spent any political capital uh, to try and uh, dissuade people from pursuing this terrible agenda. But he does have the power to stop it. And wouldn't it be an amazing uh, trick once again, <laughs> he would be able to go into 2024 as the hero of the day who can tell uh, 
people who want to protect property rights that he is their best friend. He's the only guy with the power to exercise the veto and he did it. He can say, I need a big man because the alternative is we need the EFF to get through. And then I'm, I don't know how long I can hold the line. It's a cunning strategy. Um, I think it's not going to happen for various reasons. I, I quite like uh, I quite like the idea, and it'll 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 cause me a crisis. Never mind everyone else, <laughs> because I'll have to be nice to Ramaphosa, which is something I'm not very keen on doing. <laughs> Dude, I'm keen. Dude, I'll be I'll be so nice. I will send. I'll send but, flowers. Yeah, no, uh, no, and 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 they will be richly deserved. Um, but uh, <laughs> it is you look uh, the one thing I, I will say is not so deserved about this is a little bit like someone putting a, sh a shotgun to your head and then they say no nah, dude I was just kidding and they put the shotgun down <laughs> you know you know you're not going to be like oh thank you thank you for not shooting me <laughs> well dude I think you might <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe in the moment but it won't be sincere if you know what I mean <laughs> yeah yeah It'll be desperate yeah. Yes, I'm feeling desperate. Yes. I'm just anyway. I've been honest. I no, I, dude, it's, it's just just this week, desperation. It's, this week makes me feel times. very desperate. Okay, so, on a happier note, okay. let's recommend how do people? We, deci yeah, we decided that that we were talking about three things. So therefore, we can say scientifically that no more bad things will happen in South Africa for a while until some good yes. things happen. Yeah, there we've we got go. Our, That's, you know, uh, our quota. Next weekend, load shedding is going to end. Uh, you know that <laughs> I wish. Uh, it's not. Someone said. Dorena dresses a lot of things. Dude, load shedding should be like the weather. We should have every night on the news. There should be the news, and then there should be the load shedding forecaster who comes up and says these areas are going to have level two and three, and for the next two weeks, and we're expecting the escarpment to clear up and hana hana. And <laughs> The thing is, it's going to rain in October, and then the coal's going to get wet. So, in some places, more load shedding. Do we need that? We need. <laughs> I'm calling load shedding tones down next weekend. Andre Dorado was telling the truth. I don't know if I'm right, but let's feel good about life. You know. Yeah, yeah he's probably telling the truth as it is now. What he's not, uh, what what he doesn't know is that uh, I don't know. Someone is going to break something, or there's going to be a, a, a it's going to be it's going to rain on some coal. And we're gonna have wet coal. <laughs> Everything will go. No, rain, rain's only gonna come after next weekend. We're gonna get a we're gonna get a weekend free of load shedding, and it's gonna, it's gonna be no sport from, to watch. It'll be from your lips to Teresa's ears. Um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so what are your recommendations? Oh damn! Wait, I had one, but now I can't remember it. You go. Right. So I don't have. I I, I I'm, I'm rehashing territory here. Um, but I'm just going to recommend once again, I recommended a long time ago, the dispatch.com. Uh, this is a center-right publication that's not super keen on a lot of the stuff that's going on in the American right right now. Uh, but they've really been growing their stable of writers. They just recently hired Kevin Williamson from away from National Review. And uh, I think they are continuing to put out good stuff. Um, I don't always agree with everything they write, but then who does? Who does agree with everyone else over everything? Um, but yeah, there there are genuinely the kind of viewpoints that you won't get in a lot of other places, uh, and and I think their analysis and and thoughtfulness and sincerity is very good. Okay, good. I I think I'm going to go for an odd one. It's like a ten or fifteen minute video 
about why everyone hates Nickelback. Because uh, <laughs> it's a meme. It's a meme to hate Nickelback. It's a meme to hate Nickelback. But why is there a meme to hate Nickelback? Because all their songs uh, sound the same. <laughs> yeah, but who's that? That's true of so many other bands. <laughs> Look at this photograph. Anyway. Dude, my, yeah, my no. matric final chapel, for example. I, I was thinking, yeah, no, dude, Nickelback's rubbish. No one ever liked Nickelback. Then I was remembering in primary school, that was the first band where I remember a dude like bringing a Walkman with like a little mobile speaker or like just <laughs> headphones and blasting it up. And like dude sitting, like bunking and going to the toilet, change room, and then like sitting around listening to Nickelback. Not like you say sorry. What's what the story? story? I, I must it's say I have a I have a slightly uh, complex view on Nickelback, which is that I'm not a huge fan of them, but not because I don't think that I don't enjoy listening to some of their songs, especially back in the day, but because you listen to one Nickelback song, you're like, why does everyone complain so much about this? This is great, and then you listen to another one, you're like, okay, it's still pretty good, and then you listen to a third one, you're like, oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> the more of it you listen to, the worse it sounds. <laughs> yeah, there's a theory. There's a theory. I, dude, I, I, I've got to say, I, there's one or two songs I really like. I, my first memory, the, 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 the clearest memory I have of someone telling me I'm not cool was I complained about that song. Uh, it's not like you to say, sorry, I was waiting on a different story. Uh, Are we having fun yet was the name of the song, right? Yeah. Something like that. And I was like, dude, the lyrics don't quite add up. They don't really make sense, like, <laughs> verse to chorus. And he was like, dude, you're so not cool. And I was like, why am I not cool? He said, because you, you want the lyrics to make sense. Yeah, nerd. And I thought there's something to it. I mean, part of, part of um, what's going on in that song, in retrospect, I listened to it after watching this video to see if I hate them or love them or if they're okay. I think they're solid B+. Um, yeah, I think at that's least that's right. Uh, is that it's like, confused. yeah, the, the lyrics are a little bit confused, partly because this person is in a kind of confusing masochistic state where he's looking for someone to hurt his feelings or someone has hurt his feelings, but that kind of is what makes him feel alive. And it is like the Goo Goo Dolls. I also liked the Goo Goo Dolls uh, when I was a kid. Um, and I, dude, I listened to Celine Dion with my mother when I was seven years old, and I loved that. Oh, no. So, whatever. Dude, well, you, now you're just music, disqualified. Music is. <laughs> I know. Look, it was before she was singing in French. She had one or two good. Okay, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm not cool. This is, why, I'm not cool. this is why you can't trust the Canadians, dude, because one second they're all great and lovely and singing beautiful songs with Titanic, and then the next moment they're singing in Quebecois French. <laughs> Yeah, no, you can't trust the Canadians. But I th anyway, this you know, I just want to say my, my matric final chapel. There was you know there were the dudes with the guitars weeping, singing actually beautifully. Uh, look at this photograph. Every time I do it, makes me laugh, dude. And I saw so many dudes hook up with so many girls, like at, <laughs> at bodies by whipping out a guitar and playing photograph. It was that was a panty dropper. Sorry to use the phrase, but that's just exactly what it was. <laughs> And, and those were like snarky girls, dude. Snarky Sistinians girls, girls. Like girls who went skiing on the holidays and like were, were very like above most things. Above this, 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 yeah, uh, crass <laughs> romance. <laughs> Ugh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, a little photograph. <laughs> oh, I remember, like nostalgia. Because what is it? It's immediate nostalgia. 
And there's Dude, something they, about, only music can is, do that. Only music, the first time you've heard it, you're like, oh, I've heard it a million times and it hurts me because it makes me remember the first time I heard it. It's like you're currently may, still first hearing. Maybe it. this is a thing we should talk about one day, but the <laughs> the the incredible um economic power of monetizing nostalgia oh dude that's, it's a it's a ooh, what a scary beast yeah it, it, anyways it, it, there yeah. are entire industries built on that these days and uh <laughs> i think i mean so i think i think this video is like a good uh it gets it gets right to that in a way uh awesome. yeah fun fact in 2002 nickelback there was not a second of a day of the year in which Nickelback wasn't playing on the radio. It, That's incredible. They got the most radio play in the decade. That's really incredible. <laughs> it's a funny old world. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Uh, well, with that, I think we, we will. Yeah, we, we, we will. We will exactly keep surviving. We're in exactly two hours. We're not gonna, we're not gonna surrender to the worst case scenarios. We're gonna have a, oh, no. and we're also not gonna just think about work. Weekend time. Nicholas is going outside. I'm just advertising this to everyone who. Oh, the to... sun will be down though, which makes a big difference. <laughs> yeah. Right. We probably won't be back next week. I know we've had a spotty couple of weeks, but we're probably not gonna be back next week because uh, I'm gonna be going away. As Gabriel says, going outside. I'm gonna be camping. Um, which is more for me is more like sleep in a tent, Brian, drink, and then watch lie on an inflatable mattress while I watch my friends hike in the distance, very far yes. away. Yes. <laughs> in the shady pond of the yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um but yeah, we'll we'll see. We'll we'll come to you as soon as we can, hopefully next week sometime. Yeah, so hopefully, hopefully you've what you've listened to half of this and then given yourself a break and then listen to the other half. But there you go, as you like it. Well, take it however you like it. And uh, with that, I keep the flag of liberty flying. Grr, 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 grr.